Hey everybody, thank you so much for tuning into our service on our YouTube channel. We are in our Nehemiah series where our pastor's heart is really to just talk about how we fortify our lives in the Lord so the enemy can't get in and steal and kill and destroy and how we build that up with God in every way in our lives. So let's get into the service. Thank you so much for watching and we'll see you at the end. Welcome this morning, glad you're here. Two things um, before we jump into the teaching. First, let me echo and encourage a little bit on our men's event on the 31st. It's at five o'clock here in the sanctuary. Mike Rice um, is, is like is the voice of the Rockies, but Mike has been a friend of mine for about 30 years. I met him when he was a reporter at University of Northern Colorado when I was a pastor at a church up there. And then it just, it was happenstance that when we came to start the church here, Mike got uh, the job at KOA. Maybe you've heard him. He's done stuff for the Broncos and um, the Nugs and uh, several different shows on there. But, um, you know, uh, he, he became uh, the play-by-play and um, happened uh, one month before the, the lockdown started in baseball, right? And, well, for, for the world. And so Mike's story is really interesting, just how God... Um, through the years to get to that level. It's just like Mike has just gone through this, this thing and I've watched him. His character is just like, it's like a rock. And then this thing hit and you would think, wow, you finally get your dream job and COVID, right? How, what's, you know, what's that gonna do to this guy? And of course, I don't wanna make it sound like it was, it was nothing. But you know, when you allow yourself, um, the Bible says, let patience have its work in your life. Because when it's done, you will be mature. It says perfect, but the word, it means mature. And the truth of the matter is what we're supposed to be doing in our walk with the Lord is becoming more like Jesus, maturing. Yay. And I know, you you know, you hear that and you think, oh, I'm so far from that. We all think that, right? It's the truth. It is a walk. It is not a sprint and it is not done overnight. But I've just watched this story develop. It's a beautiful story. I'm not exactly sure what he's going to speak about. I've heard him speak. We've just never had him here. He's a great speaker, and his wife's even better. So, um, yeah, at some point, she's an author, and, and just, just they're such a precious family. Um, Gary Vogt, who's over on Men's Ministry, also has a sweet barbecue... I, I don't, explosion is what I would call it, because it's ribs, it's chicken, it's brisket... Um, it is pulled pork. It is, yeah, I, I know. Um, there, a chef in our church is doing this for us and putting it together. Here's what I need. I want to invite you to be a part of it. Um, it is free, but in order to prepare right, like we don't know, are we going to have 50 people or will we have 300 people? Can you sign up for us, please? right? Can you sign up for us and let us know? Love to have you there, and I think that you would enjoy it. It'll be a good time. So um, if you want any more information, you can talk with Gary after the service. Hold your hand up real quick. This is who we're talking about. You can see him right there, or you can go online and sign up that way. And then um, here's the other that I'm really excited to announce also. Um, Last week was the time to begin turning in pledge cards, right? And if you were ready to turn in gifts, for our legacy campaign. So let me give context again, right? So I don't, I'll give you the number. Let me give you the context. We've been at it for three weeks, not three months, not three years, three weeks. 
Um, our margin of time is very narrow, and I think that's some of what is going on with it right now. But in three weeks' time, we are at giving in pledges a little more than $2 million, right? So, <laughs> bravo. That would be awesome to say after one year of doing a campaign. Think about that. But to be at that place in three weeks is just absolutely phenomenal. So I want to say thank you. And I do want to say this to you, right? <clears throat> Today, I'm switching gears on what we're teaching. I did three weeks on legacy, and I said that's all I was going to do. And then we'll let the Holy Spirit have his work. I do reserve the right on the weekend to tell you where we are, right? And second weekend of February is our drop dead to say, here's how much we have, and this will then give us direction in what we're going to do. If you're like, I, Pastor, I must have missed the last few weeks, listen online and you can catch up very quickly with what we're doing. Um, but I, I just want to say this. I know that sometimes when people give beyond their tithe, they're giving to a project, they're, um, they're being asked to sacrifice something. And this is not wrong, by the way. It's just some people, this is how they view it. They want to make sure that what's being said is what's going to happen. They want to make sure that uh, what's being said um, is, you know, is God really doing this? Is that enough proof for you at this point? And if it's not, what was the number in your head? You know, for me, it was anything more than five bucks. I was like, I'm in, I'll go for it. I'm teasing. But at $2 million, if you're like, is this really going to happen? It is really going to happen. We're at the position to be able to do it. Yeah. So um, it, it, context on that too, it's half of what we're trying to raise. So half is great. It's really awesome. And after three weeks, I'm like, that's, that's incredible. But at the same time, I'm not starstruck over it. It's, it's half of what we need if you are praying about it. And if you haven't been, you should be. But if you're praying about it and you're like, I just wanted to see what was going to happen, would you please go home and consider what's happening and consider whether or not you feel like God is doing it. And if you feel like he is, would you participate with us if the Holy Spirit asks you to do so? That's all that we've asked people uh, to do. I, I've had two, two really uh, unique things that, um, that have happened in that, stories that are just awesome. I had one yesterday, a family that... Um, they know Chris and I, and so they were able to, they emailed us directly and just said, can we do a Zoom meeting real quick? And they said the context was that we want to give something to the legacy, but we want to tell you the story. If you ever want to get my attention, tell me a story, right? I love stories. I love God stories. I don't love Goldilocks. I love, I love God stories. So they, they told me a story about how God uh, had moved them to be putting money away from the sale of a medical office building that they wanted to use for the kingdom. And even though they go to our church, they didn't just automatically assume we're just gonna give it to Jubilee. They asked the Lord, where should we invest this? And there were some other projects. Honestly, this is beyond their tithe, right? That they, they have been involved in. And that's, I, I bless that. I'm like, that's awesome. But they still had $50,000. And the Lord told them, give that to the legacy project. So that was... I mean, what an awesome, awesome story. Uh, and then one more that is, I think, really cool in this. Out of that, it's, I think it's at 2-1 two, 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 or 2-2 two, two right now. I'm not, I'm not a, a hundred. I, I don't have the update. 
um, since right before the weekend, but somewhere at 2-1 or 2-2. Of that, we did have a family in the church who gave a million dollars. Yeah, yeah, of it. And that is, that's a tremendous uh, blessing and benefit. And of course, with these people, I'm not at liberty to say, here's the the last name, but they're, they're actually here in this service. And, um, you know, whether a million dollars or whether you gave a hundred dollars, it's the equal sacrifice that we love and that we respect. And the truth of the matter is a family that could do that much are few and far between. It's the people that get involved at a level of whatever God puts in your heart that carries, that's the backbone, right? And it's all of us doing it together. So please pray about it. And uh, I would love for you to be a part. Can I tell one more story? I've got one more, one more great story. The church that's buying this building. On Wednesday night, they did a stakeholders meeting here where they, they brought their, like the original people who were part of the church, the people who just are like, you know, the, the, the go-to people, right? You get what I mean by stakeholder? So they had their meeting here Wednesday night and they were just showing what the building, you know, letting them have a kind of an open house and they did some worship in here and they're trying to raise some cash too. They have their financing in place, but it's in their best interest to have as much cash on hand as they can so that they can do the things that they want to do inside of the building and make it, make it their building. Right. And so um, they, they obviously had asked permission to come and do that and our staff was just here to serve them and make sure that everything flowed well. Well, um, we, we had a quick retreat, just a two-day retreat in downtown Denver um, with our, our senior team. And one of the things that we felt was, how can we bless them in their building project? And so I gave them a tithe off of our building project, and you gave $25,000 to their building project, right? So I handed that pastor a check from us to them to see their building. You know, if you can get a preacher to be speechless, you have done something that is like, like he did. He was just like, I don't know what to say. I said, that's exactly what you should say. Just, just take it and be grateful. And I know that you might think, Pastor, that's ludicrous. We're trying to, you're halfway in our project. We have little time and you're giving away money. Yep, that's exactly what I did. Why? because um, what we need is just simply, it's supernatural that we need, and therefore we have to operate on supernatural principles, right? Giving is, while it is a discipline, it is also supernatural when we're doing things like this. And it's always our blessing to bless another church uh, when we're, we're, we're able and God tells us to. So um, I think that's the end of my, um, my stories, huh? Is there anything else I should? I, one, you want one, one more story? <laughs> I do have a message and I will, I will get there. Um, because we, obviously the CU building is the one that we are aiming at, but I also have talked about the Nichols building, right? If you've been listening and, and last week I went into detail about that. We're having to go after two buildings at the same time because I don't know what will happen. We're still not together. And if it's not to be, I've never said thus says the Lord from the beginning. I've never said thus says the Lord on that building, but I have said thus says the Lord on doing this, moving into that next thing that we need to do. So we are, we are working on two buildings. And this past Friday, Chris met the architect at the Nichols building. Now, so here's an at Pastor John's home conversation. Chris would say to me, 
the CU building is it. I don't want the Nichols building. And I said, my love, you you have to be open to this because this may be where we are. That's great. You be open to it, but I don't want that (laughs) Nichols building. And I said, okay, you can feel that way, but please do not say that out loud to anybody in our church, right? You just, just don't do that. And look, I, I, of course, it's a little um, facetious, but in, that's, that is really where she was at. So I, I just felt like it would be better for her to let the art, see architects can, can, they can see things that we can't see. And then they can put it in a context where it helps you to dream. So I thought probably better for her to talk with the architect. So she went Friday, man, she was on cloud nine when she came out of the, she's just like, oh, this could totally work. This is just, so she's excited. Whichever way we go, it is going, it will not be like, that's the consolation prize. We will, CU has all the tools ready, right? Um, That's what makes it easier for us. And it's got more room. But if we go to Nichols, then we will build all the tools that we want. And um, he's assured us that it can be done on the timeline too that we need to do it on. So is that, I, I, I know that's, you, if you're sitting here and you haven't been aware of this, you're like, what is he talking about? I, I don't know. Okay, um, so Nehemiah, we're gonna switch directions starting today and uh, do a series on Nehemiah. Now, if you are like, um, you know, pastor three weeks on, on the legacy, I'm not sure if that's enough. I believe that it is. I believe that there's no point in just driving something. Either God's doing it or he's not doing it, right? And I have to trust him in that. So we feel in our heart, let's begin. Let's teach some other things that are important. And here's where this, uh, this message comes from. Over the past couple of weeks while I was teaching on legacy, I just kind of blurted out. It wasn't in my notes. It was just in my heart. And I blurted out that for many of us, we, we're like the walls of Jerusalem. And I pointed out that in Jesus's day, and even today, if you go with me over to Israel, I can show you the gates around the old city of Jerusalem, the way that a city was protected from enemies coming in at will and just, you know, stealing and killing and destroying a a, a city, they would build city walls around it, really high and really thick. And then there's gates, big, big wooden gates that at nighttime, they'll close those gates and lock them. And that would keep armies or uh, bandits or, or, you know, a a group of thugs from coming in and and starting trouble or or robbing people or, or, you know, setting the city on fire, right? The walls and the gates represented the protection for a city. And I just said, listen, when Jerusalem found themselves at a time where the walls had been broken down and the gates had been burned, their enemies could come and go at will and the people could never recover. Even though they were in their city that was promised by God, the enemy could come and go because the walls were broken down. And I just, I just blurted this out. I said, many believers are trying to live in the promise that God has given them, but because the walls of protection are broken down in your life, the devil comes and goes at will and he steals from you constantly. And, and he's, he's just, he's destroying things in your life. And so here you are, you're, you're here because you love God and you're here because you want the promises of God. And, and even you have the faith to believe those things yet where your life is at and what's going on in your life there, there you're in diametrically opposed positions. You have the faith to believe one thing, but the outcome of your life is a different thing. Do you know anybody like that? Right. Do you, I mean, do you know what I'm saying? I know not in this service, but do you know anybody 
that like is hoping, wanting, believing God to do something. And like their life just says everything. They're just being stolen from constantly, right? It can happen. And if you're like, well, then maybe they're not even a believer. That is, that's faulty thinking. That is faulty thinking. So the whole reason that the book of Nehemiah is in the Bible, it's not just simply a historical picture of what happened to Jerusalem when an enemy was able to take it down. The reason that story is in the Bible, the Old Testament is a type and a shadow. And it's fulfilled through Jesus in the New Testament. So the reason those things are in the Bible, they tell the history, but they also have principles that we can apply in our life spiritually. God puts a hedge of protection around you. And at times, the enemy is always prowling to see, can I get through that hedge? And if you don't protect it, or if you open the hedge or the gate to the enemy, you do not have a enemy who will negotiate. He is an enemy without mercy and he will take, the Bible says, Jesus said, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He only does one of those three things. It's never neutral. So that if he can get in your life, he will do one of three things, if not all three. He will steal, he will kill, and he will destroy in your life. He will do it in your marriage. He will do it in your health. He will do it in your finances. He will do it with your children. Hear me on this right now. So what can we do about it? Is there anything that can be done about it? Do we have to just take it? Or are there things that we can, can we have those walls built up where the enemy can't just come and go at will? Is it possible? So that's what this series then would be about. I don't know why, but it's so dry for me today up here. Um, I hope the message doesn't come across. <laughs> Lord, don't let it be prophetic. All right, here's the question. Um, so listen to this, my premise. If you are a new creation in Christ, right? You've given your heart to him. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Look, pull that up real quick. Let's read that. Um, <clears throat> this means that anyone who belongs to Christ, how many in here belong to Christ? So I hope all of you raise your hand. If you haven't, I'll give you a chance at the end. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a what? A new person. You're a new creation. And then this is, this is so powerful. The old life is gone and the new life is begun. How many of you believe that's true? When you're in Christ, the old is gone and the new has come. Here's my premise, right? If you are a new creation, if that is the truth, if that's what the Bible says and you believe it to be true, if you are a new creation, why then can we struggle with brokenness, shame, and stuff from our past? If we're new, why do we deal with old stuff? And again, I'll just ask the question, realizing that nobody in here has any idea what I'm talking about right now. But do you know somebody in another service or at work <laughs> who might be a new creation? They love Christ and have given their heart to him, and yet they struggle with things. How about this? Can I say it this way? Is it possible that you, you can be born again, a believer, you've given your heart to Christ, but you have a, a habit uh, uh, a thought life, a belief system that is, that is absolutely the opposite of a new life. Sure, it's true. And if you don't believe, you really should pastor with me. For That's a lot of what I do. It's working with people who love God but find themselves stuck at times in life. And it's not fun to be stuck, nor is it fun to find this old thing that has a, it just comes back again and again and again. 
So if we are new creations and the Bible says that's exactly what we are, why do we find ourselves dealing with, with things from our past, things that are broken and things that are, you know, they're, they're shameful at times. So for me, if I were just to fillet my heart again and just say, okay, I know I'm a new creation, but where, where is the devil able to come and go in my life? Where has he been successful? I'll give you three things. and Maybe you won't relate to them. Maybe you will. One is anger. Now, when I say anger, not like a maniac in a road rage who's, ah, not like that. But anger that just like, I, if, if, I'm, if my mind's not being renewed and my heart's not in the right, you know, you want to know what really happens? When I get tired, yep. let me come over here and say it. When I get tired, the enemy seems to be more successful. Anybody ever notice that, right? Just being worn out so that when I get tired, that old way, that anger, I can be easily angered. Now, anger in and of itself is, you can be angry and not sin. But the problem is when your anger causes you to sin. And when you treat people the wrong way because you're angry or you have the wrong attitude or you're unable to pray or see God's purpose for a situation or another person, then that anger, it, it, the enemy has come through the hedge. Do you get what I'm saying? And here's the second one, again, for me, not for you, but for me, shame. So when I say shame, again, you can't think like, oh, you did this horrible thing and then you just feel shame about it. No, that's, I, I think real shame, shame where the enemy just, he's the accuser of, of God's people. I think real shame comes when you, when you lose sight of who you are in Christ. The enemy is constantly working on your identity, constantly. When you know who you are in Jesus, you have an answer for everything that he throws at you. But when you lose sight of that, and is it possible at times to lose sight? I mean, come on, be real with me at least. Then shame can come in. Shame about your past or even just shame of like, why am, I, why am I still struggling with these things? You ever said that one? You ever had this thought? If I really was in Christ, I wouldn't be dealing with these things. The, the, the enemy is great at getting you to sin and then condemning you when you do sin. So here's the third one. Again, for me, right? Anxiety. I mean, I'm a new creation, which means I, in Christ, I don't have anxiety. But when that thing gets broken down, anybody experienced anxiety in the last 365 days? So the Bible is clear that he holds us in his hand and no one can snatch us from there. And that God is not tied to what happens on Wall Street. And that God is not shaking with what's going on because of a pandemic. And yet we find ourselves not only having to deal with it, but perhaps we know people who have paid the ultimate price because of it. So I'll just say real quickly, it is possible that these things cause anxiety in our life. And God's remedy for anxiety is this. I will keep you in perfect peace when you keep your mind set on me. But how easy is it or how hard is it to keep your mind set? It can be very difficult, can't it? So that old thing can just come in and man, it, it's not, so we say those words like, oh, it's a little bit of anxiety. Let me tell you about fear real quickly. The, the understanding of fear is that it chokes us. Look up the definition in the Bible. It, it's to choke. 
Fear is that rare thing. Jesus said that people who have fear in their life, when his seed hits the ground in a heart, if fear is there, it chokes out. Worry chokes out the word of God. Can you imagine something so powerful in this life that even God's word? So that something can be done about it. But I can tell you people who are so full of fear that it has wrecked their life. It wrecks a relationship. I'm afraid of you being unfaithful to me because of something that happened in the past. Four of us. I knew it wasn't this service, like I said, but pray for the 11 o'clock are full of heathens. I'll just be honest with you. They're strugglers. <laughs> Listen to this. When I said that the Old Testament is a type and a shadow and that Jesus is the fulfillment of those things. If, if you will take the time just to study on some of these things, you can see such great connection. So uh, the name Nehemiah literally means comforter. Jesus said, it's better for you if I go away so that you can receive the, the comforter. That's the name of the Holy Spirit. A type and a shadow means a picture of. So many things in the Old Testament, in fact, all of the Old Testament, it shows us a picture and Jesus becomes the fulfillment of those things. And if we take the time to actually not just read ink and paper, but see God's purpose for it, there's so much to be taught. So I wrote this down and it's better if I just read it to you. Listen to this. Nehemiah, his name means comforter. His job, he set out to repair, rebuild and restore the broken down walls around Jerusalem. Listen to this. It's a picture of how the Holy Spirit works in our lives. The Holy Spirit, his name is the Comforter, and he works to repair, rebuild and restore the real you. When Jesus said you are a new creation, look, in front of God instantly you're a new creation. When you die, it will be the new creation that God looks at. But we all know that while we're living here, while it may be true spiritually, you're a new creation, the battle of your life starts the moment you become born again. It doesn't end at that point. In fact, for most of us, we don't even know we have an enemy before we're born again. It's once we become believers that we realize we have a real enemy who's against us. And if your statement today is like, man, I just have all this trouble in my life and I feel like I'm fighting the devil every which way I turn, you're going the right direction. Yes. And if you say to me, it's like me and the devil are friends, dude, wake up. If you don't have any resistance, maybe it's because you're not walking the right direction. Thank you for that huge amen on that. <clears throat> So it literally is just a picture of the work of the Holy Spirit. So what we're going to talk about for the next few weeks is how can we cooperate with the Holy Spirit to rebuild those walls? How do we make sure that the gate is shut to the enemy? How do we make sure that the places that are broken down, the places that the enemy has been successful in our lives, right? And the place he's successful with me may not be the place he's successful with you, John, but the place he's successful with you is probably not the place he's successful with. It's all relative to the person. So the place you struggle, I might look at it and go, what's the big deal? And you might look at me and say, I, I don't get why that's hard for you. It's the place that he's successful with you. How do we close that place off? If we are new creations, how 
Do we see that happen, not just in front of God spiritually? How do we live that out here and now? How does that happen? Is there anything that we can partner with the Holy Spirit on? Of course. So that's this. So here's the background real quickly on Nehemiah. Nehemiah shows up in history at a time where Israel has been warned over and over and over again. They were worshiping false gods. They were, they were rebellious to God. They turned their back on him. They were going their own way. Look, that's bad enough in and of itself, but God had done so much for the nation of Israel. They were his chosen people. He went to Abraham, had a covenant with Abraham and made a promise to Abraham. Follow me and I will make you the father of a great nation. And eventually through you, all the people on the face of the earth will be blessed. Because through Abraham, his lineage is Jesus. And through Jesus, everybody is blessed. So God had done this incredible thing for the nation of Israel, even gave them their own promised land. And had done so much to get them in that place where he fulfilled his promises to them. And once he got them there, you would think they would just simply be grateful. And yet as human history shows us, our own human history, that if we don't pay attention to what's going on in our heart, we can all end up in places we shouldn't be with God. Is it true? Everybody in this room is capable of that. So Israel... Uh, was continually warned through the prophets, you need to stop this, you need to repent, you need to get rid of all of this false God worship, this idol worship, turn your face back to God, give him your heart again, he is merciful, he, he is kind to you, and because in particular, he's slow to anger, you think you can keep getting away with this, but eventually, judgment's gonna hit you, and when it does, it's gonna knock these walls down, and you're gonna be taken captive. And they didn't listen, and the nation on the earth at that time that could do that was Babylon. And Babylon came against Jerusalem, knocked the walls down, burnt the gates down, raided the temple of God, and took it. You would think that God would have stood up. That's what Israel thought. Surely God won't let that happen because it's his temple. God stood back and let the enemy go into his temple. And Israel paid the highest price. Not only did this happen in their city, but then Babylon took them all captive and made them slaves. And through time and circumstance, a prophet named Ezra rise up. That's the book before Nehemiah. Ezra was able to have some of the captives of Babylon go back to live in Jerusalem. But because the walls and the gates were burnt down, all of Israel's enemies could come and go at will. So every time they tried to reestablish something, their enemies could just come and go at will. And then Nehemiah rises up. Nehemiah, I don't know what it is, but through history, Jewish people, whenever they're captive in some foreign government, they always rise to high positions of authority. It, it, it happened with Joseph in Egypt. It happened with Daniel. And now it's happening with Nehemiah. So, so Nehemiah's story is, that his brother has just come back from Jerusalem to Babylon. Nehemiah is the cupbearer to the king. Not just is he the one that, that tastes the wine to make sure it's not uh, poison, but he's also a counselor to the king. So he's in this position of influence. His brother comes back from Jerusalem and Nehemiah asks him, how are the people of Jerusalem doing? And his brother tells him, really bad. The walls are broken, the gates are burned, and the enemy is having a field day with God's people. And it just 
punctures Nehemiah's heart. And that's where this story comes in. So today is a little more of a broad brush. Uh, as we go through the next several weeks, we'll, we'll go into some of the chapters and talk about uh, some of why this book is in the Bible. But today, let me, I, I'm not even going to begin in the book of Nehemiah. I'm going to begin in 1 Peter chapter 5. And if you're taking the notes, uh, I'll give it to you in just a second. So let's read this. Um, pull that up for me, if you will. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God. Um, much better for you to do it than for God to have to do it. And at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. Give all your worries and cares to God. That was a great place to like, amen. I'll say it one more. Give all your worries and cares to God because he cares about you. And then stay alert, exclamation point. Wake up, man. Get the sleep out of your eyes. Shake your head and pay attention. Stay alert. And here's why. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Don't let that person be you. That's what's being said. And then this, stand firm against him. So there is something we can do. You see it? And be strong in your faith. Remember that the family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering that you are right now too. In his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. Now pay attention. So after you have suffered a little while, the word suffering here is not just the idea of like paying a penalty, being persecuted for your faith. It's the idea that when we are believers, we go through trials. Stuff happens. Stuff happens. You can't avoid the stuff. Jesus said in this world, you will have trouble, but fear not, I've overcome the world. So God is saying, after you have suffered for a little while, God will do three things in your life. He will restore you, he will support you, and he will strengthen you. And all of it will be done so that your feet or on a firm foundation. Look at it one more time. Restore, support, and strengthen. How many of you would love 2021 to be that year? Yeah. Amen, come on. So here's God's promise. He will place you on a firm foundation. All right, so what I want you to pull from this really quickly is that the word is telling us that when we go through difficulties, after, after going through them, these three things, God will restore, support, and strengthen us, placing us on a firm foundation. But before you can be restored, supported, and strengthened, you go through difficulties. Do you see that? Now, you don't have to be excited about that, but that is what it says. We go through difficulties. So here's the first fill in the blank if you want it. And it goes hand in hand with what we're taught in the book of Nehemiah. Listen to this. We value outcome but God treasures process. And the reason it says that we'll go through some difficult things before restoration happens is because God is all about the process. We're all about the outcome. We want the prize and we want it instantly. It's like I said last week, we pray the prayer, God move in my life. And what we think is overnight while we're sleeping, everything arranges itself so that when we wake up, it's like the bluebirds are, it's gonna be a great day. I used to go in and wake up my kids every morning. Good morning. Good morning. Oh, they hated it. And I would sing it all the much louder to start their day off the right way. Good morning. Good morning. 
It's a beautiful morning. Now they do it to their children. It's awesome. Awesome. <laughs> That's a legacy. <laughs> and I laugh and it's fun and I wanted them to start their day that way. But the truth of the matter is, right, that we, we do go through, it, it's not always good morning. And you can sing those songs and act like everything's, but how many of you in the last year have gone through some difficulties? Huh? So that if you find yourself, listen, if you're going through difficulties, maybe you're right where you're supposed to be in space and time. Maybe you're not doing anything wrong. Maybe you're not, maybe you're not far away from God. Maybe you think, oh, if I was just praying a little more, or, or maybe, maybe if I was part of legacy, maybe I just need to tell you, legacy is not going to keep stuff from happening in your life. It'll make the stuff more fun, but it's not going to keep the stuff from happening in your life. We value outcome and God treasures the process. You know, um, <laughs> with kids, I thought about this this morning. I didn't, I didn't say it last night. We had five, each one of them, you know, they didn't just walk on that same path. Amy, as the first one, was like, um, she just was so passionate for Jesus at such an early age in her life. When she was 11 years old at a children's camp, the Lord spoke to her about missions. And my kid came home and told us, I'm going to be a missionary. Now, I'm a pastor, and you think I would have been excited about that, but I'm like, no, you're not going to be a missionary. <laughs> you're not going to do that at all. You're going to stay here, and you're going to make a lot of money, and you're going to live in a, like a little ivory tower. And you're going to be protected from all of, because I, believe me, Amy, I know what's out there. You're not going that direction. And I'm a little facetious on that, but Chris and I weren't thrilled about it. So here's the tack that we took. We're not going to try to talk her out of it. We just think that probably through time, she'll forget about it. But that's not what happened. Every year she doubled down. She graduates high school early, took a job at Nordstrom. You're supposed to be 18. She got the job at 17 graduated a year early and was the number one salesperson at Nordstrom's. And what does she do with all of her money? And you can actually make pretty good money at Nordstrom's. At one point, she made more money in a month than I was making. That's embarrassing. And here's really what's unfair is that I'm paying for everything. <laughs> and she's saving up all of her money so that she can go to youth with a mission for four years and pursue God. And she did it. She set this incredibly high bar. And, and I just, this isn't part of the message. I, I'm gonna, but it's just like, maybe this is for a child that's sitting in this room right now. When the first one blazes the trail the right way, it really does give a picture to the second. And if there's a third or a fourth or our case, a fifth. It, gave a, it doesn't mean that they'll walk on that path, but it does give a direction for what it can look like. Kids don't have to go the way of the world. They don't have to go that way to figure out life. They don't have to. They really can love God, be passionate about God, and set their lives to do godly things at an early age. And you can pray that way. And you can do everything you can to help your child. And they may not be called vocationally to ministry, but they can be passionate for God, can't they? And let, can I just tell you this? 
their own idea about how to live their life when they're passionate with God is much better than your idea of how they should be passionate with God. You won't have to police them. They'll do it themselves. And can I tell you, it's a lot easier. And Brent and Kate sort of seemed to walk that same, and then the twins. And it was like a generation arose that knew nothing about God. I'm teasing, but they walked a different path. And Pastor Daniel, after Daniel graduated, some of you remember me telling the story. Um, Dan went that first semester to CCU, Colorado Christian, but he didn't want to be there. It was our idea. And he didn't want to be there. And his dedication to it showed that he didn't want to be there. And his grade showed that he didn't want to be there. And I, I would have gotten better use of the money if I'd have driven down 470, opened the window and thrown $10,000 out <laughs> than giving it for nothing, right? And at the end of that semester, he looked at us and he said, hey, I'm going to move out. He was 18. I'm going to move out. I'm going to move with some friends up to Fort Collins and I'm just going to, I just, I need to be my own person. I'm under this great shadow. I'm only known by who you are, what my siblings have done. I need to be my own person. And can I just say to you real quickly, it's much easier to father, parent, mother, a little one than it is an adult. Because with a little one, at least, mostly you can solve the problems in 30 minutes. But when they're an adult, sometimes all you can do is stand there and hurt. You've said everything there is to say. And out the door they go. And Chris and I had to take that terrible position of being patient and putting him in God's hands and trusting that God knew what he was doing. And you know, it was funny because there was not much communication during this season of time. And I don't know exactly. I've never really asked him to explain what happened. I don't know if I want to know. I know he partied. I don't know. He pursued things that he thought this is where life is going to be fun. And I know after it was about a year of little communication. And it seemed like just, it just seemed like there was a lot of trouble that was, you know, the Bible says the way of the transgressor is hard. And sometimes parents shouldn't interfere with that. Say it over here. The way of the transgressor is hard. And when we get in the way of that, we're stopping what God is trying to do sometimes. So Chris and I had to just put, we'd help him with anything that he needed. It seemed like constantly something was happening to his car. Someone stole the catalytic converter from underneath it. He wrecked it a couple of times. He had this nice forerunner. He left and it was beautiful and he came back and it looked like it had been through desert storm. And we'd help him. We, it's like, we felt like the Lord said, if he asks, help him. But we had to take a hands-off approach and just allow, allow him to go live. And I don't know exactly what happened during that. I could, I could see bits and pieces of it. But at about that year point in time, he called up and said, um, I want to come home. I want to go to youth with a mission. 
And can you help me get my life back on track? No. <laughs> it would have been a much simpler process if that would have happened from day one. But the person he is today is completely different than the person he was at that moment in time. And I will take process to get the outcome that I got. It's not my idea for him to be a pastor. It's his idea for him to be a pastor. When he was at YWAM, I remember him calling me and telling me, Dad, I want to come home and I want to stand by your side. Let's change the world together. Oh, what would you pay to have your son say that to you? What would you give? A lot, huh? A lot. Here's the pastor telling you that it wasn't butterflies and zebras and fairy tales. It's a tribute to Hendrix, if you don't know. <laughs> You got it, didn't you? I, I saw you, man. You're like, that guy's okay. All right. <clears throat> I'm, I'm out of time, uh, and I haven't like, taught the message here. So, um, I, yeah. You know, I asked the Holy Spirit. I, we prayed it downstairs before the start of this service. God, I'll go anywhere you want me to go and keep me from going where I want to go. So that if this service needs something that nobody else, I'm totally willing to go there for your sake. Totally willing to. Amen. Let me give you the other fill in the blanks real quickly and then I, I need to. Um, the second one is just simply when we are defenseless. Now this is Nehemiah. Pull that up real quick and I'll read it. <clears throat> so remember we pick it up where Nehemiah's brother has just come back from Jerusalem and Jerusalem is knocked to the ground and the inhabitants that have gone back the captives that have gone back are unable to establish themselves because their enemies can come and go at will. So these are the memoirs of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in late autumn in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign. I was at the fortress of Susa. Hanani, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some of the other men who had just arrived from Judah. I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. Then they said to me, things are not going well for those who returned to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble. Look at that word and disgrace. They're being embarrassed. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. When I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted and prayed to the God of heaven. So we have a picture here of what it looks like when we're defenseless. We're easily embarrassed. We're humiliated and we can't do anything about it. We find ourselves, not few places in life more difficult than when the enemy is having his way and you feel helpless to do anything about it. That's defenseless. By the way, that's not God's idea for your life. That's not what he wants. He wants you in a defended position, a protected position. It doesn't mean you don't go through things, but it means when you do go through things, you have a weapon that you can use to fight back. And when you're defenseless, you can't fight back. Did you get that? It's a very difficult place to be in. The enemy that we have in our lives, according to Ephesians chapter six, some of you know that it, it's, it's the armor of God. Put on the full armor of God, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness. Shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. 
the sword of the spirit, and the shield of faith. And it goes through and it lists offensive and defensive weapons. And then it tells us that we need to put those weapons on in order to fight the devil. Listen to this scripture. This is Ephesians 6, 11. Paul is talking to the church at Ephesus. Listen to the instruction. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the schemes or the wiles of the devil, depending on your translation of the Bible. So the word scheme there or wiles, it's a really interesting word. In the Greek, it means methodia or method. So the enemy has methods that he works well in your life. And Paul is saying, you need to put these weapons on so that you can take your stand against the methods of the devil. Now here's, here's the point. My method that he's successful with, Julia, it's not your method. The method that works for you is not the method. So where my hedge is broken down is different than where your hedge is broken down. But here's the similarity. God can put a hedge that's totally enclosed so that the enemy can't work with those methods. Now, here's, here's what's really interesting. Um, <clears throat> this, this is a poetic language that uses word pictures. And maybe you remember me teaching about this years and years ago. But the word method, the devil schemes, the word method, uh, it means a path. And it's a word picture. It means a well-traveled path or the well-worn path. Have you ever had a little dog that lives outside and he walks back and forth on the grass over and over and over again and he makes a small little path in the grass? Have you ever seen that? That's the well-worn path. You ever seen kids when they're walking to school, uh, instead of walking on the sidewalk, they'll cut through like the edge of a field and it makes a little path. Everybody walks on that. That's the well-worn path. When you're driving up in the mountains, you look to the side of the hills. You ever seen those? They go back and forth on a mountain. What it, that's where animals walk back in. They don't just wander off. If you're a hunter, you look for the game path. Yep. Right? It's the well-worn path. Here's the picture that it's telling us. The enemy is constantly, like a lion, prowling for whom he can devour. He's looking at the hedge of protection around your life. Where can I penetrate it? And he finds the well-worn path that works with you. And it may not work with you, or you, or you, Dan, but it's successful. What's the well-worn path that the enemy has been successful in your life over the years? Lust can be one of those ones. It always gets quiet. We live in a very sexually saturated society. It's in media. It's at our fingertips. When I was a kid growing up, to view pornography was difficult. If some father had a playboy and some kid grabbed a picture and snuck it out, I'm telling how it happened for me. I was eight. You know what's weird? <laughs> that was almost 49 years ago, and I can still remember the picture. It, it imprints on your brain. It works especially well for men, but today it is also women that the enemy is skillfully, skillfully drawn into pornography. And we live in a time in a world that says, hey, there's nothing wrong with this. It's just an alternative issue. There's nothing wrong with it. And I will tell you that Paul says, allow no sexual... <laughs> pathway into your life because it eats your soul. 
It will harden your heart. It will make you numb to the things of God. And when it takes over, finally, it can destroy relationships. It totally changes the way that you see the opposite sex. And some of you in this room, because it's not your well-worn pathway, it doesn't bother you when I say it. But for those of you who right now know exactly, maybe it's cost you a relationship, it did in our family. Those of you who've been here know exactly what I'm talking about right now. Not with Chris and I, but in our family, it cost a relationship. It'll eat your heart. And it, it, what starts initially as nothing more than an activity, a way to escape, can become a noose that tightens around your leg and when it springs, you can't get away from it. And then here's what's really bad. Because you are the new creation, it's an inconsistent behavior with the new life. And now, the one thing I can assure you, you want to know if you're born again? When you're born again, you will still sin, but you will hate to sin. It will bother you. You will not be okay with it. The one thing I can promise you, the more you love God, the more you will hate sin. So that when sin comes, and it, and it will bother you. And if you can sin and it doesn't bother you, beware. Pay attention. Proverbs descri describes it as a man who steps in and out of a trap. And because he can do it, he thinks it's okay. And the enemy is just waiting for you to get in far enough. And it'll close on you. And, and this is where shame comes in. Because who do you now tell? Not only should you not have done it, what the enemy will tell you, but how can you tell anybody? You're an upstanding member. You love God. Nothing is worse than being stuck and not being able to ask for help. So look at me. Part of the reason we exist is to help you. If you need help, there's no judgment here. Come ask for help. Come ask for help. Can I keep going? I'm in Kona teaching at Youth with a Mission. Eight years ago, I don't... I've gone many times to teach. This has been several years ago. On one of those trips, Amy came with me. I always travel with someone. Amy, my daughter, came with me. And when you're there, you stay on their property in an area called the Ghost Center. And she had her room and I had my room. They don't have televisions and telephones. It's supposed to be a place where you get away and spend that time with God. And I'm, if you go to teach at YWAM, you teach all day long. You don't teach like this. You teach in three-hour blocks twice a day. And then you're meeting with students constantly. And what did I tell you? I'm weak when I'm tired. So at the end of the week, everything's said and done. I've given all and I'm wiped out tired. I went back to my room. We had gone out to dinner. I came back to my room. They do have internet access. I opened up my iPad and it was though an ugly, evil spirit suddenly was there tempting me. Can you handle this? And I, I was going for it. And in a last ditch effort, I got up and I banged on the wall. Amy, come over here. She came into the room. I said, you've got to take this because if you don't, I'm a mess up bad. Well, that's hard to say to your daughter. She had to take my iPad from me so that that night there was no iPad in the room. Why? 
Because Pastor John would have gone hook, line, and sinker. Would it have ruined my life? I'm not saying that, but it would have given the devil an inroad into my life. Anybody hear what I'm saying right now? Like, this is really funny because when I put my finger on something that I, that people, they're like, oh, I, I don't look at me. And then when I do, you go like this. That's like the dead giveaway. Don't, at least just keep your heads. I'm trying to lighten up the moment, okay? The well-worn path. So like I am, I am putting myself out there for you right now. What's your well-worn path? For some people, it's money. Money's the well-worn path in your life. And what I mean by money, it's that, it's that thing that you, you can't let go of it or you can't hold on to it. What is it? Is it anger? You okay right now? It's like, Pastor, why, why are you doing this? Because I love you. Because this is not how God wants you to live your life. And Jesus came to bring a life that's worth having. And when we find ourselves inconsistent with that vision, something is broken. You have an enemy who hates you. You have an enemy who hates you. The third one, I, I'm just, I'm so sorry, I'm out of time. The third one is the courage to rebuild. You know, the problem with rebuilding is that sometimes it's so broken down that it's hard to rebuild. Sometimes we just go, it's easier not to rebuild. So let me just do this. This is Nehemiah chapter two. Just let, let me read this real quickly and then I, I promise. Uh, early the following spring, in the month of Nisan, during the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was serving the king his wine. I had never before appeared sad in his presence. The reason is that anybody in the king's presence who was sad, if the king was in a bad mood, you'd lose your life. Okay? So the king asked me, why are you looking so sad? You don't look sick to me. You must be deeply troubled. Look at this next sentence right here. Then I was Why? Because he realizes if I say the wrong thing, but he's there because God put him in that situation for that time. <laughs> so I replied, long live the king. <laughs> Not, hey, I've got this problem. This is called diplomacy. Learn diplomacy. Long live the king. How can I not be sad for the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins and the gates have been destroyed by fire? And the king asked, how can I help you? How do you know God's on your side? When somebody wants to help you with a prayer to the God of heaven, I replied, if it pleased the king, and if you are pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. The king with the queen sitting beside him asked, how long will you be gone? When will you return? And after I told him how long I would be gone, the king agreed to my request. I also said to the king, if it please the king, let me have letters addressed to the governors of the province west of the Euphrates River, instructing them to let me travel safely through their territories on my way to Judah. And please give me a letter addressed to Asaph, the manager of the king's forest, instructing him to give me timber. I will need it to make beams for the gates of the temple fortress, for the city walls, and for a house for myself. And the king granted these requests because the gracious hand of God was on me the courage to rebuild. So you listen to this message and, and here's the big thing. Here's what I know can happen in a person's life. When you have fought against that thing that gets into your life and won't let go, you give up eventually. And now you build your house around that thing. It lives with you. You've learned to tolerate that thing in your life. 
Will you go to heaven? You bet, because it's not whether or not you get rid of the thing that lets you go to heaven. It's what Jesus did that lets you go to heaven. But you will feel like you're living in hell while you're here. And that is not abundant life. And my question to you is, do you want abundant life? And if you say no, what's wrong with you, man? Abundant life, the life that's worth having. When does it start? When you're 21? When you're 31? When you're 57? Abundant life starts the moment you live in the life that Jesus called you to live in. And it is possible. That's what this is about. How do we live an abundant life? How do we allow that hedge to be so secure around us that the enemy, that the enemy has to struggle to get through it? And if I could teach you that, would you want to know? Um, the enemy is a thief. Jesus said, all he does is kill, steal, and destroy. Luke 8, this one scripture. This is the meaning of the parable of the seed and the sower. The seed is God's word. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message only to have the devil come and take it away from their hearts and prevent them from believing and being saved. Here, listen, the enemy is a good thief. And if he can get into your life, he will grab the seed that I'm even speaking right now that gives you hope. He will take it from you so that by doing so, he takes your hope again. And you'll have memory that I taught this message, but you will have no proof that it ever worked in your life. And that should not be. That should not be. When you leave here, you should be stronger because of the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. And by the way, the Holy Spirit is not an it or a what, it's a person. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And so many of us have been taught weird things about the Holy Spirit, so we just kind of put him on a shelf. Here's what you should do today. Come on, Holy Spirit. Have all of my heart, man. Move in me, work in me. You can have every inch of me. God, I need new experiences with the Holy Spirit. It was good for salvation, but you need him today, just like you needed him the day of salvation. You need him today. You cannot live victorious, powerful, overcoming without the Holy Spirit in your life. And it's not enough to say, I got the Holy Spirit when I was born again. You need ongoing daily experiences. Be constantly filled with the Holy Spirit. You need that. I need that. We need that. The church is without power without the Holy Spirit. We're a group of elks meeting. Jesus, I love you, and I thank you for the opportunity to teach, Lord God. I love, love, love to teach, Lord. I love it. Oh, thank you for letting me do it. Thank you for this group of people that I get to teach. I love them, and it doesn't come close to how much you love them. Father, open our heart right now, and I just pray supernaturally, Lord, some of us are unable to defend against the enemy coming to steal the seed. So I'm asking right now that you would do the miraculous. Put your hands around the seed so that the devil cannot steal it right now. For those who are defenseless in this room, for those of you whose walls have been broken down and the gates have been spiritually burned, right? And the devil can come and go at will. He's just, he's so effective at stealing killing and destroying in your life. I pray right now, uh, just a dispensation of God's grace, his power, his favor around your life until the hedge can get built, until the walls are built back up. I ask that God would protect the seed that's being taught to you right now so that you can be safe, man. So you can be safe. I hope you hear what I'm saying right now so that you can be safe, so the devil cannot steal this from you. Now, one more thing I wanna pray. 
So your heads are bowed, your eyes are closed. Just listen to me for a second. Everything that I'm saying right here starts with a relationship with Christ. God loves you so much that it's his idea to have relationship with you. He even loved you so much that he made it possible by sending Jesus to do the work so that you can have a relationship with the Father. And if you want God's mercy, listen to my words. You want his grace. You don't want his judgment. You want his mercy and you want his grace. Then you want relationship with him. And God stands here today facing you, arms open, wanting you in relationship with him. But all relationships are two-party based. Both people have to want the relationship. God has already made up his mind about you. What do you want to do with that? If you're listening at home, or maybe you're driving, maybe you're walking, or maybe you're sitting right here with me in person. Let me identify something real quickly. Do you need a relationship with God? Do you need his grace and do you need his mercy? Do you want the life that Jesus came to give, abundant life? It all begins in a relationship with God. It doesn't begin with religion. It doesn't begin, I went to church. It begins in a relationship with God. And all that's necessary for that is for you to say, God, I want that relationship. God, be merciful to me. God, help me. Maybe you have 10,000 questions about theology. That's okay. Bring all of your questions. But let's begin with this simple premise. Do you want a relationship with God? Many of your questions cannot be answered outside of a relationship anyway. Do you want a relationship with God? So if you're here with me right now or you're with me vicariously through a television or a speaker, I'm just gonna ask you the question. If you say, pastor, you're talking to me and ask for me, I say, yes, I want that relationship. If you've never said to God, be merciful to me. If you've never said to him, God, I want that relationship. Today can be your day. If that's you and you say, pastor, pray for me. I just want you to respond, not for me, for you before God. By the way, I will not embarrass you. I won't do something funny with you, but I do have a plan and it begins with me praying. So if that's you and you say, Pastor John, remember me today when you pray, I need that relationship with God. I want that. Would you just slip your hand up right now? Yep, 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 sure, all over. There's many, many, many. Okay, you can put them back down. All right, so I'm gonna pray and there's not a right way or a wrong way for you to do this. In fact, if while I'm praying, if you just listen and go, that's, that's what I want right there then you can just say to God, that's, that's what I want. If while I'm praying, you wanna pray along with me, that's awesome. It's a simple prayer, listen. Father, be merciful to me. God, I need your help. God, I want relationship with you. God, from my heart, I speak to you today. God, remember me. 
If you have so many questions that you're just like, I, I, I don't know if I can go beyond the questions. Just for a moment, put the questions down. If you want a relationship with God, if you want his love, you want to say yes to his love. That's probably a better way to say it. And just right now, just say, God, yes. Yes. Father, thank you for hearing our prayers right now. Thank you for your kindness to us. The Bible says it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. Father, thank you for your kindness today in reaching out to us. This first step is everything. So I thank you for everyone, whether I can see them or not, who says yes to you right now. God, thank you for your goodness. Draw us to yourself. (laughs) Give us the Holy Spirit. And thank you for doing that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And amen. Hey, thank you so much for watching. We hope that what was said and what you gained from this will help to build your life up in the way that the Lord is leading you specifically for right now in your life. Thank you for watching on our YouTube channel. We hope to see you again, however it works for you next weekend.